0: A story of an eight year old girl. Her name is Rebecca Grace Abudin. She just celebrated her eighth birthday. Sadly, though, for the third straight year, her father has been unable to make the celebration. You see from July 2012 until now, Said has been imprisoned in Iran. Iran is a nation in which Said is from. It's a nation in which he sought to build an orphanage and also to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Said has missed these three birthday parties and is now in prison for one simple reason. His proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, while he's in prison, his daughter is not. She's home. And she's home praying earnestly that her father would return and simply be home with the family. In a recent letter to Rebecca, Saeed, her father and pastor, addresses her questions about God and the nature of prayer to God. This is what he says to his daughter. He says, I know that you question why you've prayed so many times for my return, and yet I'm not home yet. Now, there's a big why in your mind, you're asking. Why Jesus isn't answering your prayers and the prayers of all the people around the world praying for my release and for me to be home with you and our family. You see, Rebecca, at the age of eight, is asking questions as she looks at suffering and difficulty, the same kind of questions we ask in the midst of our prayers to God. And these are the questions. Does God hear my prayers? Does God know what I'm dealing with? If he hears and he knows, does he give a rip? Meaning, does he care at all about what I'm wrestling with? And I think ultimately, what we want to know is that when we pray, will God do anything in response to our prayers? These are the questions this little girl is asking at a very young age, questions that we often ask about the nature of prayer and the nature of the God that we pray to. It's with these questions that we raise that we turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. I want you to open up there with me and follow along as we read this short passage. And like I say all the time, it's a little, little bit of comedy and a heavy intro. Typically in Exodus you're going to see long passages that we try to make short. But again tonight, this is a short passage that we will, in expert form, make very long. Ha, ha. So let's look at this couple verses here. Verse 23 says, During those many days... Got to read that slow, folks. Okay, I'm going to say it again. You're going to follow with me just that slow. Are you ready? During those many days... The king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out to God for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is God's word, Amen, Amen. Again, I maybe overkill, but I think we need to read the opening words like that. It's meant to have that kind of tenor, that atmosphere, long, painstaking arduous no end in sight whether you look in the past or look into the future it's this during those many days this sense of never-ending difficulty in slavery it just won't stop there's no end in sight those many days I don't think we can miss that you know Uh, If you think about it, really, you look back over the last couple chapters, we know what's gone on. These many days, what's happened. The people of Israel have come to Egypt, generations past, and, and a pharaoh rose up that didn't know Joseph or his family and began to see how they were being blessed, and he put them to hard, forced labor. Four centuries have passed. Long, many, constant days. No end in sight. 400 years. But see, we have the birth of a guy by the name of Moses, right? Who takes matters into his own hands. Kills some dude. Buries him in the sand. Pharaoh finds out. Now he's on the run as a fugitive. Finding himself shepherding some dude's flock in the middle of Midian. He's found a woman. He's got a couple kids. He's content to live there as a sojourner in a foreign land. Those many days would be 40 years that Moses was in Midian. So we have the 400 years and these 40 years that have passed since verse what? I'm in the wrong page. Verse 22. 40 years have gone by. These many days. We can quickly gloss over it and seem like oh it was the next day right these are many years these are generations that have been during these things the text says that during those many days the king of egypt died yay maybe there's hope maybe in the midst of this slavery the death of one pharaoh would rise up another pharaoh that maybe would have a different posture towards the people of israel but as we know this story that's anything but the case The Pharaoh that's died here is most likely Thutmose III around 1450 B.C. There's a lot of conversation about the historical uh, nature of the events and when they took place. But the bottom line is, is that the death of Pharaoh provided zero hope for ending their slavery. God's people continued to suffer greatly for many days for multiple generations. And we read the words groaning... And crying out, their cry for rescue, we could easily miss out on the obvious nature, the severity of their experience. This is not a bad day. This is not a rough patch in their altogether pretty not-too-bad existence. This is a complete disaster for generations. This is hard, forced oppression. They are stuck. They are in slavery. They are made to do things they simply don't want to do. They do not enjoy freedom like we know for centuries. And so they groan. They cry out for help. And they begin to pray. They're not simply bummed out. This has not been a a bad day at the office, right? It's, it's not like one of those days where you got, you were a few minutes behind you you threw your coffee in the mug and you, you put it on the thing and then you you have a quick sip and then you don't realize that the guy in front of you is breaking so you slam on the brakes and the coffee spills all over you now you gotta stop to get another coffee at Kubal and while you run in to get a coffee at Kubal all of a sudden you get a parking ticket you're 20 minutes late to work your, your boss is yelling at you if you do it one more time you're fired it's not just a bad day we can think that that they're just going through a rough patch friends The suffering, the oppression was extreme and it was long, right? It was constant. And so they groaned. It it was deep. They were crying out for help. To be simple about it, the people of Israel were desperate. Desperation is what brings one to groan before God, right? It's what brings an individual or a people to cry out for help, complete and utter desperation. In other words, desperation is in a place where you seem to have no hope at all. They looked at Egypt and there was absolutely no hope. They looked at the world and they found no source of encouragement or assurance of being released from slavery. And they looked to themselves after 400 years and they found no hope in and of themselves. The only hope that they had was God. Right? And it's in that moment, it's in that place of desperation, where we've looked at the world and said, there's no hope here. Where we've looked in the mirror, and we've said, there's no hope there. It's in that desperate place that these people groan and they cry out for rescue. I don't know what situation you find yourself in tonight. I don't know what difficulty you face. I don't know what situation feels like slavery, feels like the experience of being stuck and oppressed and being dealt with harshly. Maybe it's a marriage where you just feel stuck. You've tried, you've given roses, you've gone the, the extra mile, you've tried to sit down, have a cup of coffee, hash things out, but no matter how hard you try, we're getting nowhere. It's deteriorating. It's falling apart at the sea. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's in relationship to your children. You can't seem to figure out how to walk them through life, teach them about Jesus. We're losing them. And we can't seem to get out of that place that's so hard and difficult. Maybe it's a financial issue where you've made decisions in the past that you go, eh, scratch your head about. And now you found yourself shackled under the weight of incredible debt that you can't seem to get out of. Maybe it's a relationship that's plaguing you. Maybe it's your job. I don't know. I don't know what you're going through tonight. But I would assume that even if, if it's not now it's been before or a day's going to come where you're going to feel in the midst of that kind of uh, of of slavery and oppression. And you're going to get to a place where you look to the world and you don't see any hope out there. You're going to look in the mirror and you're going to say I can't do anything about it. No matter how hard I try, my only hope is God. Therefore, prayer is my only option. And it's in that place that finally the doorway of hope swings wide open. Amen? When we're desperate, when the only hope that we have is the divine intervention of the living God, that's when we pray. That's when we cry out for help from Him. And I think it would be important to just quickly emphasize that I've made some parallels in our lives. The real parallel that needs to be made is sin. Some of you may have a great marriage. Things are going great. Some of you may be saving money like it's going out of style. woo Everything's great, we're out of debt, going out to eat, still got money, right? we we'll be fine. Job's great, everything's going great. Except for that secret, the setting, sin. That not many people know about. That you can't seem to get rid of. Really, that's what Exodus is a foreshadowing of, Right? The the setting free of these people are the setting free from, from, from Egypt is the setting free of God's people from sin. Satan and death our greatest enemies. And so I bring it to you tonight. Maybe you're in a place right now where sin has made a complete disaster of your life or the sin of others. And you're in that desperate place. The only hope is God and the doorway of hope begins to swing open. God is your only hope. And when God is your only hope, prayer is your only option. You see, if we were to look outside and and maybe begin to believe the lie that this, that, or the other thing, or that person, or that book that I'm about to read is truly going to be the thing that sets me free. Or if I listen to that podcast, or if I have coffee with my buddy, he's going to help. If we begin to look outside of of God and outside of, of what he's trying to do and begin to put our hope in other things or other people then we're not going to pray. And I don't know about you, but I find that my nature so easily is to find another way than just crying out to God for help. You ever found yourself there? I'd rather figure it out on my own. I'm, I'm prone to that. In almost like this weird attitude of, maybe I can show God what I did. Isn't that funny? Silly. But see, when we've run out of self, And we've run out of uh, the world's offerings. we finally come to a desperate place, yes, but a hopeful one. When God is our hope, prayer is our only option. That's what these people are doing. There's no hope anywhere else but Him. And yet we wonder, again, we're asking those questions as they're praying. Does God hear Him? Does God see? Does God know? Does God respond? And we love what the answer is. It's clear. It shines brightly in the text, doesn't it? It's right there for us to see. How does God respond to the groaning of His people? How does God respond to the crying out of His people for rescue? You tell me. What's that? He remembers His covenant. What else? He hears. It's staring right at you. If you have your Bible. Got you. (laughs) Right? It's right there. It's staring right at you. Look at verse uh, 23. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. It came up to God. You say, man, I feel like when I'm praying, all it's doing is bouncing off the ceilings. Right, I've been praying for years about this situation. I go into my prayer closet, and you know what? My prayers stay in the closet. just bounces off the clothes above me, if you will. It never makes it out of the room. It bounces off the ceiling. But what we see here is that they're groaning and they're crying out for help. It came up to God. It didn't bounce off the ceiling. It burst, quoting Spurgeon, it burst through the gates of glory into the ears of Almighty God. So when we pray, and we cry out and we groan to the living God, Spurgeon reminds us that for all of his people, the groaning, the praying, the crying out, it lands in the ears of the living God. We need to hear that. We need to hear the truth. That although it may seem in the moment that he's not hearing us, God hears our prayers. Mark that down. You need to hold on to that because you're going to either be brought through a season like that, or you're in one now. God hears our prayers. Our prayers bust through the gates of glory into the ears of Almighty God. That's true. So God hears the prayers of His people. Pretty neat experience uh, a couple of weeks ago that happened right here in the context of uh, our church here at Renovation. Many of you know my grandmother is here tonight. I don't want to embarrass her. But I think God deserves the glory in this situation. She told us uh, of an experience that she had where, you know, she uh, many of you may not know, a couple weeks ago she went into the hospital for, for COPD and just needed some, her oxygen levels were low. And so she went in probably expecting to just kind of get a little bit of attention from a doctor and be on her way home, and uh, maybe stay a night. But after the third night and the fourth night, now on the fifth day, her oxygen levels were still hovering around 70. You correct me if I'm wrong. By the way, that's low. Correct me if I'm wrong. All right? I could speak almost kind of like a doctor this morning, but now that she's in the room, I'm like, uh, Right? Right? 70 and she was discouraged she was sitting on the edge of the bed because it was too difficult to lay down based on the oxygen level sitting on the edge of the bed crying out to God and in the next couple hours after that the nurse came in to check and the nurse unexplainably illogically came to see that her oxygen level was approaching 100 wasn't it like 96 97 what happened well, at that time, in the 7.30 range-ish, I don't know, pretty detailed, but this one I can't nail. the missional community was praying for her. You say, oh, man, yeah, a great story, coincidence. Come on, man, you know, right? Maybe, based on what I read in the text, I don't think so. Again, am I seeing our experience and therefore creating truth from that experience? No. What I'm seeing is the Bible telling us that God hears our prayers. And you know what? We experience that in the 9 to 5. That's not just a truth on a piece of paper that we believe, yeah, God hears. We experience that in the 9 to 5, don't we? Monday through Friday, in the nitty-gritty details of our lives, We experience the truth of who God is and how He responds to us. God hears our prayers in His perfect way, His perfect timing, according to His purposes. God hears and answers our prayers. That's what He does. But not only that, we see the text goes on to say this. Verse 25, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. You could read the previous point about God hearing and say that God is not deaf to our difficulties. He hears. And at the same time, he's not blind to our suffering. He sees it. Right To go old school hymn. I can't help but think about the song, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The divine eye is set on his people. He sees us. He's not blind to who we are. He's not blind to our experience. And surely He sees and is not blind to the experience of the people here. He sees us. Additionally, I can't help but think of Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I believe about five times in the next whatever verses, I can't remember, there's the same word that's used. One version would say, the Lord is your keeper. Another version would say, the Lord watches over those who are His. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. So, so God hears our prayers, and He sees His people. He sees us for who we are and what we handle each and every day. He's not blind. He sees. And the text goes on to say not only that, God sees and He knows His people in their suffering. Right? He knows. That's not just a word that communicates this knowledge, like, yeah, I read about that in a book. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that reality. It's a word that communicates intimate, personal acquaintance. Philip Ryken, in his work, says this, the word suggests intimate, personal acquaintance with all the particulars, I love that, with all the particulars of their suffering. He doesn't just know in general, yeah, they're going through a tough time. He knows the details, intimately acquainted, with what we handle reminds me of hebrews it talks about jesus being able to sympathize with our weaknesses right because he became like one of us he knew what it was like to be us he knows who we are and what we endure so god hears our prayers god sees and knows His people, in their suffering. He's not blind. He's not deaf. And He's not ignorant. Whatever you're facing tonight, that's the God that the Scriptures reveal. Amen? But there's more. Verse 24, and I think becomes a hinge point for us on which the other things really hang. The text says that God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. He remembers His promises that He's made to His people and He has every intention to keep every single one of His covenant promises. Amen? So how does God deal with our groaning? How does God respond to our situation? He hears, He sees, He knows, and as far as I can tell, because He remembers the promise that He's made to His people. Some of you may be sports fans here. Some of you not, and well, you're going to have to just humor me. And uh, we'll pray for you. Um, I know that's kind of sick, but <clears throat> maybe you know Phil Jackson. Raise your hand if you know Phil Jackson. No, he's not your buddy in high school. The guy who runs the Knicks, who used to coach the Lakers, who used to coach the Bulls. That Phil Jackson. Well, his nickname is like the Zen master, Buddhist guy, right? He does his thing. He does the Zen stuff, right? The Knicks right now are going through a, a, a mindfulness training. Raise your hand if you've heard of mindfulness training of late, right? Does anybody have any idea what mindfulness is? Well, I'm going to tell you. Are you ready? Again, I'm no expert on these matters, but according to Mike and Mike in the morning. The true authority on world religions and philosophy. Basically, in reference at least to athletes. What it is, is Phil Jackson is trying to get Carmelo and the rest of the Knicks to simply stay in the moment. To live and play ball and think and act in the moment. Without reference to the past and with no regard for the future. Just play hoop, shoot the ball, dunk on somebody's head in the moment. Friends, God does not relate to His people like that. He's not engaged. When we talk about Him remembering, He's not engaging in some sort of mindfulness. What God is doing is actually the exact opposite. He's not living and relating in the moment at all. He is very much relating to His people with reference to His past promises. That's how God relates to us. Right? We sing of that love. that Your love never fails. It never gives up. Right? Love never fails. It never gives up. Never runs out on me. Thank you. Never runs out on me. Right? Your love. What kind of love are we talking about? It's important to ask that question. Because we have a twisted understanding of love in 2014. We are confused. At best, it's closer to mindfulness than it is to the biblical love that we know. Where God loves us in the moment because He promised to love us in the past. His love is covenantal. It's grace given. It's bound by covenant. That's the kind of love that we celebrate when we sing. That's the kind of love that never gives up, right? Never runs out. That love. And so God is answering the prayers of His people, yes, but on the basis of His covenant. And His covenant has past implication, past roots. It has present application. And boy, oh boy, does His covenant get attached to His purposes that will have future expectation with it. Are you you glad that our God relates to us with reference to the past and reference to the future and that he doesn't look at our moment right now where we are struggling with sin, where we are a complete disaster, and relate to us in this moment right here, right now? Tell me that's not a love to celebrate and to tell the world about. That kind of love, the covenantal, steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases... That's one that we celebrate as the church. It's not based on merit, right? Because there's no hope in and of ourselves. It's based on covenant promise. We so easily miss that. And that covenant was simply this, that God was going to bless Abraham. Remember? He was going to make his name great. He was going to be a blessing, right? All people would be blessed through you. Covenantal promise promise. Not based on merit, but based on grace. God is choosing to love a people and to bless a people. So God remembers His promises in this moment. 400 years. Not to say that He had forgotten about it previously and now all of a sudden was remembering, right? Not as if He hadn't heard before or seen their experience. But in this moment, we see the subject of the story begin to change. That first it was about Pharaoh doing this to the people of Israel. And then it was about Moses. But what we see now is that there is a a pivot, a transition in Exodus, where we're no longer just talking about what leaders are doing and failures are doing. We're talking about the actions of the living God on behalf of His people. Because of the covenant. Isn't that awesome? That's what Exodus is revealing. God. His action, His love, His commitment to His people. And we need to rest in that. God is not unresponsive to our prayers, people. He sees it, He hears it, He knows it, He remembers. And He will never forget the promises that He's made to us. He doesn't respond even because primarily because the people ask. He doesn't respond primarily because they're having a tough time. He responds primarily because of promise. We need to spend some time there thinking about that. Reichen goes on to conclude, From beginning to end, our salvation depends on God remembering His covenant. I'm going to say that one again. As we consider our salvation, our redemption, us being freed from sin through Christ, as we consider that, we must understand that from beginning to end, our salvation depends on God remembering His covenant. And that's why God hears your prayers. And it would be a complete failure tonight for us to not at least spend a few moments recognizing again that, that for us the, the, the most appropriate application for the people of God in 2014 is sin, evil, Satan and death. That's what redemption has accomplished for us. Freedom from the tyranny of those things. And it would be a failure for us to not point to the person of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all of God's covenant promises. Right? Jesus is also the ultimate expression of our groans and cries and prayers being heard by god to be set free from sin right some of you may be questioning this like can we really trust god Can we really look to Him as our hope? Well, right here, right now, we we haven't walked through Exodus, and and really, we're fast-forwarding through all of the Old Testament as we see God in progressive ways showing His faithfulness to His people. But we also see the fact that He did come to terms with His covenant. He did put Jesus, His own Son, on the cross in our place for our sins to give us the salvation that we've been crying out for. He kept His promise. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God that we celebrate here in this text. A God who makes a promise and who has kept that promise in the person and work of Jesus. I think even as well how the Father responded to the prayers of Jesus, right? Think about it. As he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying in the midst of intense, extreme difficulty, agony, praying where b- drops of blood come from his brow. And he's praying what? My, what? Not my will, but yours be done. As he's on the cross, what is he praying? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Father heard that prayer. The Father saw that suffering. The Father knew. And the Father remembered his covenant. And he raised his son from the dead, securing for us all the covenant blessings of being the redeemed people of God. Amen? That's what this text is all about. God is acting in response to our prayers on the basis of His covenant promises. And that finds its ultimate fulfillment and expression in no one less than Jesus. That's what we celebrate here. Saeed Aboudini In his letter to his daughter, did not end by just addressing her questions. Actually, his letter went on to show his faith and his hope in the promises and purposes of God. Listen to what he tells his eight year old daughter, and I can't help but think about the lessons. Although imprisoned far away, oh, is he faithfully and effectively fathering this little girl? listen to these words the answer to the why is who who is in control Lord Jesus Christ is in control the confusion of why has all of this happened and why your prayers are not answered yet is resolved with understanding who is in control Lord Jesus Christ our God God is in control of the whole world. And everything that is happening in it is for His good purpose. For His glory. And will be worked out for our good. Jesus allows me. Isn't that an interesting perspective? Jesus allows me to be kept here for His glory. And so I want you to know that the answer to all of your prayers... Is that God is in control and he knows better than us what he's doing in our lives and all around the world there's a man with incredible faith an intense hope in the God he knows the God that does hear our prayer that God does see and know our suffering and experiences the God who remembers His covenant and is acting in response to those prayers in the person of Jesus. All on the basis of His covenant promises. Friends, this is indeed a faithful God in these chapters, is He not? He's made a promise and He's kept it. He's the one who is faithful To his people. The question now becomes for us. What do we do in response to the faithful one? Oh Christian. We trust him. That's what we do. With all that we have. With all that we are. You say that's blind faith. I say no. Track records evidence. Blind faith is not Christianity. We see God making promises and God keeping them time and time again, all in the person of Jesus. He's faithful. When no one else or nothing else in this world is dependable and faithful, we can look to God through Christ and trust him, can't we? When there's no one else to trust, we trust God. When there's no one else to hope, we hope in God. And based on that, we bring all of our cries, all of our groans, all of our experiences to His feet, knowing He hears, He sees, He knows, He remembers. Amen? Amen. This is just the beginning. We're going to see how he's remembering over the next probably seven years, actually, in the book of Exodus. Now we have no idea how long it's going to be. <laughs> but we're going to see the specifics of it in this time in the lives of these people. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we give you thanks. You have indeed revealed yourself to be who you are the one faithful, true God who hears, sees, knows, and remembers, who responds to our prayers on the basis of Your covenant promises, quickened within us by the power of the Spirit, desperate, dependent faith. We ask this in the name of our Lord. Amen.